Welcome to T3, Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. Your host is Jose Negron. We take the guesswork out of technological jargon so that you know what's next, why it's great or not so great, and how you can benefit from it by learning about it early. Now, here is Jose Negron. Good morning, uh, folks, and welcome, everyone, to Season 2, our official podcast number one, Developing the Abilities of a Great Engineer, Technologist, or Innovator. And today's guest is going to be Mr. Rob Orden. But before I get to that, I'd just like to remind our audience that uh, the purpose of T3 was to get the engineers, the technologists, the scientists with the non-techie folks and ensure that the non-techie folks, while they're not engineers, technologists, or even innovators, they are part of this life cycle that we live together. And remember, our first goal uh, for last season was to make sure that we had left a positive impact on new technology and to learn what new technology brings to the table. Can these technologies impact our daily lives? And we found out last year uh, through our discussion of uh, several topics from uh, autonomous vehicles to uh, smart houses to security on computers to drones that these technologies are revolutionizing the way we live and the way we work. And the third thing we want to make sure of is that the society benefits from these technologies. And I think we've done that as far as teeing up the subject matter. Uh, last year, uh, we gave it a good uh, look at some of the future technologies. In fact, I was quite proud in our last show that you can find on uh, Voice of America, the Variety Channel. Uh, go back to our podcast. If you look at the uh, T3 show, Tuesday, 9 o'clock, you'll be able to rerun those uh, Season 1 podcasts. Uh, and look at our last show. We talked about a lot of technologies that are coming up. Uh, and what i like to do this season is really get to... To the specific engineer, the specific uh, technologist, the innovator, talk about their product or talk about their design and how the, that design will change the, the world, really, and how we live today. I'm really excited about it. We're going to have a great season, too, and uh, but we're going to talk about a little bit more specifics, and our guests are going to be uh, folks at the leading edge of the technology revolution. Okay, so let's get on with it. Once again, I want to thank everybody for listening for T3 and their support and encouragement for the first season. The program today, as I said, was developing the abilities of great engineers, technologists, and innovators. Why do these individuals want to become engineers, technologists, and innovators? Well, today we have a privilege uh, of inviting Mr. Robert Orden. I've known Rob since uh, I've worked with DARPA since 2001. We've been working off and on, and I thought he was a classic example of an engineer who wanted to become an engineer and has continued to develop uh, his uh, his experience base, uh, not only as an engineer, as a technology, and a little bit of, of an innovator himself. Uh, uh, Rob today works for the uh, for Avanti Technologies, which I'm proud to say he uh, is a member of our company. And uh, but at, currently he's working as a research analyst for the Pentagon Force Protection Agency, where he coordinates interagency cooperation, technology exchange, and increase efficiencies. Prior to work, uh, he was a 
CETA support, which is System Engineering Technical Assistance Support, 10 years out of DARPA. That's where uh, Rob and I first got to meet each other. And during his tenure, he worked at the Tactical Technology Office, where he advanced programs regarding Quest Supersonic Flight, uh, Aperture Micro-Adaptive Flow Control, Micro-Aerial Vehicles, and a litany of other advanced projects. Uh, he works on small-scale propulsion systems, earned him a master's degree from North Carolina State University, where his team developed the world's smallest pulse jet. Rob has a master's of science and bachelor's of science degree, aerospace engineering, and a concentration on propulsion from North Carolina State. Rob, welcome to the program. Uh, it's a pleasure to hear you. Uh, and uh, is there anything I missed from your bio? Well, thanks, Jose. No, I, I think you got it all. That's, that's about it. All right. So let's jump in it. What made you decide to, first of all, go to North Carolina State, and then second of all, uh, begin uh, your engineering studies? Well, when I was a kid, I used to watch the Blue Angels fly all the time. I know you're an Air Force guy, but hey, and we call Blue Angels. And um, I always wondered, what kept them in the air? I mean, initially I wanted to be a pilot, but my eyesight wouldn't let that happen. So I decided to go toward engineering. Um, When I was looking at engineering schools, NC State was one of the the better aerospace schools. So I decided to move on down to Raleigh and study aerospace engineering and figure out how things worked. And after you saw the Blue Angels, and you got motivated to go start your engineering. What kept you in the field? Because, I, you know, a lot of people get frustrated because of, uh, I guess, it, it's heavy math oriented. Or uh, I know my son started engineering for three years and quit because he really didn't like the team projects. And so um, while capable of doing the academics, he just got tired of doing the team projects. So what kept you in the business or kept you studying? I've always sort of liked math. It's always been a, a, a thing that I enjoyed when I was in school because the, the rules are there and they're real simple. You follow the rules, you get the answer. There's not a, a lot of guesswork involved with it. Um, with engineering, it's something similar. I mean, you keep trying to find the answer. Uh, you, you learn different things and different sides of engineering. So you'll, you'll talk about um, maybe fluid dynamics one day, chemistry another day. Um, and, and all of them are little pieces to the puzzle. So you, you keep going through the school, and I don't know. I, I just kept staying interested in, in airplanes and wanted to get more into that. At the beginning, they just teach you basic courses, and you don't really get to see anything fun until you really get into your major. So that kept me going for the uh, first couple of years, and then we started doing fun stuff in the second and uh, or the third and fourth years of, of my degree, and it became a lot more fun when you actually got to – to see how things came together and we're solving real world problems. I know one of your passions, of course, is propulsion, but uh, a, a lot of the time you spent uh, as a, I guess, as a homework or a study program was uh, development of uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. Can you describe some of that work? Uh, yes. So um, one of the things that NC State did is uh, to graduate, you had to design a and fly an aircraft. Now, you weren't designing it all by yourself. We had a team of seven people working on it. So one person's doing controls, another person's doing uh, aerodynamics. We have a team leader. I was doing the um, weights and balances and the CAD drawing for the aircraft. We had structures, and I'm not sure if I missed anyone in there. But um, So we, we would do that for one semester, and we only had three or four months to do it. So it was pretty pretty rough. Uh, we had to 
meet deadlines, meet milestones, and get get through the design process. Um, and then the second semester was building the aircraft. Um, we didn't have 3D printers at the time. It was all done by hand. So you would print drawings out of the computer, tape them to wood, sand the wood down, cut it, then use a, um, sanding wings and just had to build build a plane from the ground up. Um, but watching it fly made it all worth it. A lot of times, uh, you know, in the heat of passion, uh, you're really learning a lot of skill sets during that project. And that's one thing, uh, it's a story I remember you telling about. You know, as we look for the uh, qualities of a great engineer or innovator or, or a technologist, we're looking at somebody with strong uh, analytical aptitude. Uh, we're looking at folks with attention to details. Uh, I mean, uh, has great communication skills, takes part in continuing education. Education has never stopped for you, has it, Ron? No, no. It, in fact, I mean, it sounds silly. Now that I have a house, I end up using a lot of what I learned in engineering just to fix things. YouTube helps <laughs> a lot, too. Combination of YouTube and a little bit of basic knowledge, and you could pretty yeah. much fix any electrical problems in your house, plumbing. Uh, to be honest, I haven't dived into that yet. But, uh, you know, any basic stuff I fixed around the house, whether it be a lawnmower or, you know, refrigerator ice makers not working, something to that effect. So a lot of basic skills uh, learn uh, using your creativity to move on to other uh, uh, topics or functionality in day-to-day living. Uh, one of the skill sets that says uh, think logically, uh, mathematically inclined, which you mentioned, uh, problem-solving skills, being a team player, and, of course, uh, excellent technical knowledge to be able to apply. I, I see too many of the engineers going to school, and they really book smart, but when it comes to application, uh, sometimes they fall behind. Do you know why that is? I mean, it's either a gift or not a gift. I personally think. Oh, I, I actually knew a person that I went to school with, and they when we when we did the design phase, and that person was an excellent student, straight A's, was picked to be on you know the the best team. And when it came down to building the airplane, they didn't know how to use a screwdriver. There's a true story. Um, they learned very quickly and thought it was a neat tool, uh, but just because of how they had grown up in a, um, a, a, a came from a very wealthy family, never had to use their hands to do anything, so they had just not been exposed to a screwdriver. Um, that's so part of it could be where you came from and, and how your parents had, had uh, taught you or what you were exposed to. Um, but I think some people are also just a little bit more inquisitive than others in, in using tools, and then other people are, are better at solving math problems um, than using tools. So it's kind of a give and take, and I personally like to be in the middle, but you know, there, there are different folks, and they do different things. Right, and if a young kid is out there or an engineer that's been um, going along in his career and he's frustrated, let's talk to the young kid. What do you? What do you? How would you encourage him to continue, or why would you tell him to pick up engineering skills or technology skills, or even uh, get out there and try to invent something? Oh, well, it's very useful in in life, just in general, to have that basic knowledge of science and how things work. Uh, just that the that that alone. I mean, if you didn't want to get into exactly fluid dynamics and something that's complicated, you don't have to worry about that. But just knowing basic things, um, basic principles of science are very helpful. I mean, if, and if you get frustrated, I mean, you a lot of people fail. You probably learn your most 
from failing than you do from succeeding. So it's not bad to fail. I think you worked at DARPA. I think uh, something like two-thirds of the projects don't make it. But they learn a lot from it, and people come back and keep trying. The stuff that does make it is really amazing. Yeah, I think uh, we've got such a... Uh, a need to succeed. We believe that everything needs to succeed in life. And really, we learn more, more on failure. As long as you're learning what made it tick, what made it fail, what what made it progress or not progress, those are the lessons that you really need to learn. And, and I think um, we forget that. I, I remember... Uh, I had a uh, a bad experience in one of my classes only because I worked uh, the night shift, and I went in the morning to take the test, and of course, I was sleeping, and I didn't do very well, and I looked at my grade, and I go, wow, very disappointed, but but what I did know is I knew the material, and, uh, and I was confident enough that I could move to the next level. Uh, it was just that, uh, you know, taking the test at the wrong time, wrong place, and, and, get, and being sleepy, I never let that happen again. But that, that's something I learned, uh, you know, it took, a, uh, it took a, unfortunately, it took my own experience to learn that lesson. Usually I try to learn it from other folks, and, and, and that way you lessen the, the mistakes. But, yeah, uh, people tend to make mistakes, and especially in the science department, engineering department uh, however you know it's, you got to be cautious because when you're building a bridge you don't want that bridge to fail <laughs> so uh there's uh there's you have to be cautious about when you fail i know when we're doing a lot of a prototyping first type of engineering projects that's that's kind of where we're at uh but rob go ahead and address the other you had a comment oh i was going to say absolutely i mean you want to learn that before you build a bridge and it falls yeah. you you want to have those mistakes and learn from them in school. You, you, you definitely need, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be learned from that. Um, and, you know, learning from other people's mistakes is also good, too. Right. One of the challenges that we've always had, and, and of course, uh, uh, having a project management skill set, having the uh, uh, intuition, uh, curiosity is really critical, the ability to organize yourself, the ability to direct other people uh, to do the project. It's, it's, it's fun. I always consider it fun from an engineering perspective, from a technologist perspective. Uh, that's what I consider myself, a technologist. Uh, I didn't go to engineering school, but I work with a lot lot of engineers and I help translate uh, the basic use of the product or I call it the widget uh, into action and that's what's critical and I think uh, for my guest out there if you are thinking about it learn a little bit about engineering or technologists or becoming innovators I mean uh, I look back at the East Coast schools and we'll talk a little bit about that a lot of them uh, MIT uh, critical incubators they have on hand experience in building things that's the reason they're generating uh, the, the type of engineers they do because everything's on hand and everything is creative and they challenge the students and I see I see more and more universities going to that style you got any comments on that Rob since you went to uh, North Carolina um, well I, I was going to go back to what you were talking about as being in the middle as far as language goes so there's been a few times in my career where I've seen engineers in a room with people who are non-engineers and they can't communicate well with one another because they're all speaking in their own jargon, and the engineers do need to learn to um, talk to their audience. So if you're if you're using 
highly specific engineering terms about something, but the person who's providing funding doesn't understand what you're talking about, it doesn't help anybody. So there, there is a, a middle ground where you want to be able to speak to your customer and let them understand what you're trying to get across if you're an engineer. Oh, I totally agree. That's the reason we started Avanti Technologies is to uh, uh, create that middleman because what I'm finding out, no matter, the engineers are so excited about their widget uh, and sometimes they think their uh, widget will meet this specific uh, specification without realizing there's other users out there and they're going to use it for whatever their, uh, whatever occasions or convenience they can use out of it. And the engineer or the inventor has not even thought through that process. So the the product becomes more useful and more beneficial at the end of the day. However, uh, the experience of creating that uh, or filling that vacuum is critical. And that's the beauty about being an engineer, creating the uh, item, being in the middle like uh, as a technologist, being able to communicate and then working with the users. And I think that's, uh, that's really critical because we lose that communication between the engineer and the user. And sometimes we do need an interpreter. And I appreciate that. Uh, we've got about a minute left. Rob, anything else you want to add before we go off to our first commercial break? If not, I'll do a recap. Uh, well, the one thing I was going to add is that a lot of times people will come up with a product and have no idea of alternate uses that somebody else may have for it. You, you know, you may think you're making a product that does one thing and that's exactly why you're making it, but somebody else may find a totally different use for that product that that is um, something way out of the scope that you thought even possible. Exactly. Well, uh, we're about 30 seconds out. Uh, just want to let the audience know uh, to get involved in today, tomorrow's technology, the T3 show. Call 866-472-5788 or email me at todaytomorrowstechnology at gmail.com. We're off to our first commercial break, and we'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fullick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What's your coffee story? 
the one that defines who you truly are in a relaxing setting. It's where you share your memories, plan for the future, and talk about the now. My Favorite Coffee Story is here with host Aniko Samoji. We invite you to listen in and share your coffee stories too. Bring your friends or just stop by as we talk about coffee and the inspiring stories that touch our lives every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to today tomorrow's technologies to reach the program today please call in to 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 or send an email to today tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com now back to our show welcome back folks uh to t3 this is your host jose negron and I'm here with uh, Mr. Rob Orden, our guest today, uh, leading engineer out of DARPA, working now for the Pentagon Force Protection Agency, doing uh, analytical work, technology exchange, and other activities there. Uh, Rob, as you continue to move out on your profession in engineering, I know you were uh, uh, graduated, came and worked at DARPA, experienced that, uh, went off to Japan to broaden your uh, uh, traveling skills a little bit, and then came back and started working in some engineering under Avanti Technologies. Can you describe maybe a project or two that you were involved throughout those years that either were challenging, successful, or kind of funny after you look back on it? Okay, well, I'll, I'll just start with the first one out of college. I was hired out of college to go to DARPA and work on a, a program called the uh, Quiet Supersonic Platform. It was a small project, um, which consisted of three basic areas of development. There was an engine development, technology development, and then a, a um, industry that would combine the two into one and actually build the airplane. Um, and that, that was fairly successful. NASA and DARPA got together. They did a Quiet Supersonic test and did prove that they could shape the uh, sonic boom um, but for those that don't know, uh, that's kind of what prevents planes from getting from L.A. to New York any faster than they do right now is that they have to fly subsonic, so less than the speed of sound. Anytime they go over that, which is roughly 650, 700 miles an hour, it'll create a boom everywhere under the airplane and off to the sides. And it's not necessarily loud, but it's very startling, um, no louder than thunder. But if you're not expecting thunder and you hear a boom, it doesn't. It's, it's pretty unsettling. So anyway, the the idea behind the program <laughs> I, was. Rob, let me just stop you there. You know, you mentioned sonic boom, and and being an old Air Force guy, of course, uh, it brought back a lot of memories <laughs> because uh, I remember we used to hear it a lot in the uh, early '70s, '80s, and I think uh, based on what you just said, the FAA uh, cut that out for subsonic flight. But it was a it was a regular pattern where you would get those jets flying across. So that uh, yeah, that I mean they, it, it can break windows and, and things like that. Yeah. So what they what they were trying to do is lower that boom and make it so you can fly over over the over the land. Uh, and they were successful to an extent. They were able to shape it. However, nobody really bit off on building an airplane. Um, that was fifteen years ago. And from what I understand, or an article I read recently, I, I believe it was Lockheed. Martin, that's actually going to go ahead and make a uh, quiet supersonic business jet. 
So we're, we're getting there. It's, it took it a while. It, they figured something out. It set dormant for a while. Maybe it was based on engine development. I'm unclear um, as to why it sat, but now it's coming back out, and who knows? Maybe we'll be able to get from L.A. to New York in under four hours. Um, but it, it does happen quite a bit where technology will sit on the shelf for a little bit, and then someone opens up the book, dusts it off, and says, hey, we can use this. Do you uh, know we, or do you remember why? I know that uh, Virgin Air uh, had supersonic uh, from New York to London, and they stopped flying it because, you know, age of the plane and, and the cost. Uh, is there any other reason other than subsonic uh, law, I guess? Oh, used to fly are you ocean. talking about when the Concorde stopped? Concorde, um, yes. Yeah, so the Concorde was, was good. Um, from what I understand, the, the, it actually burned a lot of fuel because um, it, it had to run on, I believe it was 5% afterburner the whole time. Um, so it was, it was a prestige thing to have it, but it actually lost money for the businesses. And then after the, uh, the tragedy happened in, in, in uh, France where one crashed on takeoff, in order to harden it against any kind of runway debris, they had to add material to it, which made it so heavy that it, it just really burned a hole in pockets. Um, it, you know, on, on a hot day on the Concorde, if you were flying from London to New York, it was so hot out that your luggage had to fly subsonic. So they put your luggage on another plane because of the weight, and you'd fly on the plane. You'd get to New York and a few hours, but your luggage would be there, you know, four hours later than you. Uh, I, I just think it, it's sad that it went away. Um, I hope that we, we get supersonic travel back. Uh, that'd be really nice. Um, but yeah, I think the costs were prohibitive back then. Maybe now we've got, um, more fuel efficient engines. We might be able to resurrect the Concorde. Also, the materials, as you mentioned, you had to go to different airplanes. Uh, you, you physically landed in New York, and, the, and your cargo or your luggage came after you, which is quite an interesting topic here. As you moved on through your career, Rob, uh, I see that uh, – uh, I, I think you said Lockheed Martin's probably picking up your uh, topic uh, of interest. What are other designs or subject areas that you found it challenging as a team member? Because I, I go back to my son, he just did not like the team atmosphere as an engineer. And I, that's just one, that's just something you just have to deal with in life. I mean, more and more, it's a team composition uh, as you move forward. It really is. I think a lot of the easier things to solve in physics have kind of been done. Now it really does take multiple people from multiple disciplines to, to figure a problem out. It's, it's not as easy as one person sitting in the garage and solving it. Every once in a while that does happen. Don't get me wrong. But a lot of times there's a, you know, you may have one piece of the puzzle. Then there's another guy who's got the other piece of the puzzle. And if you two work together, then it, it, you'll figure it out. Um, we were, when, when I went back to college to get my master's degree, I was working on pulse jet engines and those things. Nobody's looked at those since World War I. I mean, excuse me, World War II with the V1 buzz bombs. And um, we brought that up because uh, um, there were some ideas about, you know, cheap engines, and pulse jets are very cheap. There are no moving parts um, at all. It's just a tube that's shaped a certain way, and you can get power out of it. It's not a lot of power, but you can do it. Um, so we worked on figuring out how you could predict how much power got out of them. And so we went through tons of 
iterations of making different nozzles for them, making it longer, making it shorter, and, and trying to figure out what make these things work so we could make them smaller. We were trying to get them on a, uh, a, a miniature UAV, but we figured out you don't get any thrust out of these things. They just, they just don't produce enough to, to pay for their weight. And, you know, it was a project we worked on. It didn't work out well, but it may work out in the future when, with lighter materials. Who knows? You know, you mentioned materials. A lot of the, uh, of the materials are going to poly, um, po- uh, the poly uh, items right now are membranes, uh, which is lighter but stronger. And there's a whole slew of technology development. It's been going on for about 10 years. Uh, uh, any knowledge on that subject area there? I don't. I don't have much knowledge on that, but it sounds interesting. Um I know in the in the aerospace world with propulsion, you're concerned about what temperatures something can withstand. So there's a lot of work on ceramics for turbine blades. Um, with the uh, the metal turbine blades, they they can melt, um, but with ceramics, you can get up to higher temperatures. The uh, the challenge is coming up, you know, getting a material scientist again, another discipline, to come up with a material that can withstand, you know, thousands of degrees Celsius or Kelvin. Right, and I, I, I'm like you though. Uh, we've gotten into a, a world that's very challenging from a technical perspective, from an engineering, and so having multiple disciplines, and I think that's uh, uh, the way of the future anyway, is having multiple disciplines. It's very difficult for one individual to be a master craftsman in all areas of science, in all areas of engineering or technology, and then you have to have some type of creativity. I mean, when you look at uh, Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson, they, you know, um, I mean, they were great inventors, but some of that stuff happens by accidents. And the quote is that, uh, you know, most discoveries are discovered by accidents. Uh, And so it's quite interesting as you uh, relay uh, future experimentations. uh, We talked a little bit about the autonomous vehicle and how Tesla is moving ahead in several fronts uh, from a battery perspective, from integration of the – Sensors within the car, because some of it is uh, self-autonomous, not fully autonomous, but self-autonomous, where it begins to drive and locate uh, uh, the different uh, cars even today and the technology that some of the vehicles today. uh, In my own car, you put uh, a 70 miles an hour speed limit uh, cruise control, and as soon as you approach the other car, it begins to slow down. All that sensing capability is in there. Uh, The future travel to space. Uh, Mars uh, or back to the moon a lot of discussion there we talked about robotics Rob about uh, you know robotics taking over some of the uh, uh, rudimentary type work I think that is all going to happen but there's other skill sets are going to develop I think most people are scared that robotics are just going to replace man in some instances yes but you you also will need man to fix the robots and to create the robots and move the robots and design the robots and those things will never go away so I'm curious if you have any um, knowledge or any um, discussion to elaborate in those areas? Well, robots would be great to go to Mars with initially to maybe build some structures there and get things going. Uh, that would that would be very helpful. But I think ultimately, you know, as humans, we actually want to go there ourselves. It's easier to send a, a robot up there. We've got a couple of them driving around on Mars right now. Um, but actually getting a human there or a, a, a group of humans 
seems more likely with Mars, put a bunch of people there. Um, that that would be. I think that the the robot and human can work together there. You can use the robot to go places, you know, where it's not real hospitable to humans, and they can do a lot of good work. But as you said, humans got to watch the robot, repair it, um, and humans are pretty good about thinking outside of the box uh, compared to a machine, uh, for sure. And as you know, everybody at DARPA is an out-of-the-box thinker, so they come up with all these new interesting ideas. Um, but and so far, robots aren't up to that level, so you do need a human to kind of figure that stuff out. I don't think humans are going away anytime soon. So as you uh, went into aerospace, is there any uh, reason you would change your degree as you as oh, you no. continue to mature your um, you know your profession? No, that that's a that's a definite no. But it's because I love airplanes. I mean, to me, aerospace engineering wasn't hard because I enjoyed it. Now, if I had to get a history degree, let's say that that may be a lot harder for me than aerospace engineering because I just wouldn't enjoy the subject matter as much. Um, I do find as I get older, I do want to branch out and see some other, uh, learn, learn some other things from other disciplines that I had nothing to do with um, earlier in life, but um, I, I wouldn't change my degree. Well, I remember you getting your first Tesla uh, from Tom Strat. Uh, can you describe that, or where do you think Tesla's going to go with, uh, with their vehicles? Well, the first uh, the first drive of that was great. Um, I'd never driven an electric car. I've driven Priuses before, which can be electric, but this was the first time I've driven a, a full electric car, and it was a, a beautiful machine. Um, I just hope that they can produce enough batteries. I think batteries are driving that technology. Um, but it's a great platform, and as you said earlier, with all the sensor systems in there, um, they right now I believe they have ultrasonic radar cameras, but if you can get everything, and I think technology is slowly getting there to where you can use the camera to do a lot more than it used to be able to do, where you can almost get a, get away from having some of the other sensors because the, the cameras are so high quality and the processing power is good that it can detect objects visually without having to use radars and, and things like that. And I think the simpler you make the system, the easier it will be to... Um, give it to other vehicles. Right now, I'm, I'm not sure how many, but I know that there's a few manufacturers that have autonomous cars. I'm not sure what level of autonomy they are, but they're definitely a lot better than they were 10 years ago. Um, as, yeah, as and the said, number of manufacturers are increasing by by the day. I mean, China, Japan, Korea, you know, the Ford, all the big big four or five that are coming with autonomous vehicles. Some some type of autonomy, maybe not fully autonomous, but some some degree. And you're absolutely right. Uh, as we move through the program, uh, Rob, and you entered your aerospace, and you'd like to continue that. Um, uh, what kept you in the well other than you liked it and it was it's fun for you and, and that's really the real reason why people stay uh in their careers more than anything else i always find it surprising some some folks don't like their job that's because they, they're not having fun uh, I, I i i have to look at what i do and that's forming teams out of different engineering uh disciplines and that's what i enjoy the most is building the stuff after you get the team together so that's the fun part. Sometimes you got to find the fun in the job, I think. I mean, to 
I think any job can be fun to an extent. You just have to find where the fun is or what are you learning from this job. So after that quiet supersonic program, I started working on a, um, a telescope. That I didn't know much about telescopes. I mean, I knew how things moved in space, but this program was designing a, a telescope to um, look up into space and, and, and see faint objects. Um, and so I had to learn about optics and cameras and things I knew a little bit about, but not a whole lot. And, you know, you have to kind of teach yourself and not necessarily become an expert, but understand the, the jargon and, and understand enough about it to know how it works. Uh, that, that was pretty interesting to, to learn that, but it, it telescope itself doesn't sound like a, um, you know, an aerospace project. Um, but there, there are things that you can use to make it fun or at least more interesting. Right. And the relationship of uh, your discipline to study the material, your discipline to integrate the material that you're learning, a lot of uh, some of the skill sets uh, that we said the top 10 qualities an engineer must have is, uh, you know, be attention to detail, the analytical aptitude that you showed. And uh, anything you learn from your space work or where do you see us going into space? We've got a couple more minutes. Um, in, in space? Uh, let, let me think about that. The, I, I think that, you know, as far as us, we're, we're definitely working on interplanetary exploration. I think we've got the moon covered. We've got that down. I, I think that what is probably going to happen now that we've more um, and more countries, it used to be just America and Russia were the only ones who could get into space. Now China can put space stations up. Japan's launching rockets. India's launching rockets. Europe's been doing it. Um, so with the enhanced access to space, I think we're going to see a lot more commercial activity in space. Hotels. Um, okay. Think, uh, well, let's uh, think- hold off there. We'll uh, pick that up on our uh, uh, next break here. Uh, folks, you've been listening to T3. This is your host, Jose Negron, and our guest is Mr. Rob Orton. Uh, question today was uh, develop- developing the abilities of a great engineer, technologist, or innovator, and we'll be back shortly. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In fitness and health, we all deserve a second chance. Join host Michael Skog for the program, You Only Stronger. You always have the ability to start fresh, even if you slip up on your diet or fitness program. Even small steps taken throughout the day can help. Each show will conclude with weekly assignments that you can use and will want to hear your feedback. You Only Stronger airs live Mondays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. 
Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. To reach the program today, please call in to 1 866 472 5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to today, tomorrow's technologies at gmail.com. Now, back to our show. Welcome back, folks. This is your host, Jose Negron, on Voice of America on the Variety Channel, hosting the leading technology show, Today, Tomorrow Technologies, T3 for short. And I'm here with our guest, Rob Orden. He's an aerospace engineer, uh, has been working uh, engineering projects, technology projects, has uh, touched a few innovators out there while he's uh, uh, moving on in his career. And what I want to ask him is, a lot of times we start start off our career, but we really need a strong mentor uh, to help us along and, and give us the boundaries or teach us or expand our knowledge. And just wanted to ask Rob, who who has has been his mentor and, uh, you know, what, what are the subjects he learned or the, um, I guess, the opportunity provided by the mentor to him? Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, well, my mentor, when I got out of college and I started working at DARPA was a uh, man by the name of Jack Sudreth. And he is he was an old timer. He had been in NASA ever since its inception. In fact he worked for NACA, which was the precursor to NASA before it was even NASA. One day they fired him, the next day they hired him as NASA when the agency went away. And uh he had taught me a lot of valuable lessons. Um he had he'd been he'd been around for so long and had seen so much. You know, one of the main things he he teach you, you know, coming as a worker is to not get in front of your boss. So don't don't uh, don't let your boss get surprised on anything. Make sure that they're that they're that they know exactly what what you're doing and what's happening. Uh, you also have to learn your boundaries. You you get out of school and you're you're real excited to go do things. You 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 need to know what you're supposed to do, not just what you can do. You have to be careful that you don't um, upset anyone else's plans that they're working on. Um, and then there's also a correct way to do things. So learning the correct process of how to get an idea forward, how to talk to, at this time, your DARPA program manager. If you've got a neat idea for a program, how to share it with them, how to, you know, foster it, and maybe it can become a, uh, a seedling, which is a, a starting program that may turn into something. Um, so he had, he had taught me the, the ways of DARPA and, and of the world and how things work. So it, it, was, it, was, it was good to have him as a mentor. 
Yeah, there's nothing better than having somebody uh, as you start off in your career uh, to be giving you that guidance and a little bit of, uh, uh, I guess, push along the way. Because sometimes we get re- uh, dejected. They don't let me do the stuff I want to do because they're slowing you down. You're like a, a wild thoroughbred ready to run. And, and really, the project takes a little bit of t- time and they're holding you back a little bit. But that's great. I, I had great mentors myself, and I, I really believe it. Uh, the kids out there, um, you know, whether that's a school teacher, uh, your dad, mother, or a good friend, uh, we all need mentors. And that's that's one of the keys in science, technology, and engineering. Uh, just be aware of that and uh, go seek them out. Uh, today, I, I, unfortunately, the speed of our lifestyle doesn't allow us to have good mentors. Uh, I was talking to a couple friends of mine over the last two weeks, and, you know, that's what we talked about, mentors. So how, do, how does that individual out of college today or starting a new career develop his mentors because the guy we travel we move on we we do that job for two or three years mentors used to be 10 15 years where you develop a long-lasting relationship so those are all issues that we have to create so now i'd like to talk about unless you need something else add rob um, i'll move to stem education well, I would say one thing. So, I, mentors, I was lucky. So, I was lucky enough to to be sat in an office with this guy who had who had been there and done that and knew exactly what was going on in the career path and and how to make things happen. Was a good worker. However, if I in in today's day and age, you would probably have to find somebody like that in a in a forum of some sort, a, a, a an online forum where you could talk to people who are interested in things you're interested in. And, you know, you'd have to do a lot of sifting until you found somebody who was really knew what they were talking about. And then you'd probably want to reach out to them privately and see if they can help you do things or teach you how to do something. It's, uh, in, in today's digital age, that's kind of how that's done, I'd imagine. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I'm looking at what we have to do today to motivate folks, you know, and, and I'm trying to get more people at least uh, knowledgeable of the different types, excuse me, of the technology we have out there, uh, understand the engineering basics, uh, as you said, uh, do not be scared and don't be scared to fail. And that's really the critical. And as you mentioned earlier in the program, you know, you have folks from uh, different walks of life. Uh, some people are very good with their hands. Some are very creative. And so that's where the team concept in engineering and uh, comes in or a research project. And I, I do believe that you need a team because uh, uh, you, you everybody has great gifts. It's only when you unite those great, great gifts into a team atmosphere that you really start producing. Now I'd like to change a little bit of the subject and talk about uh, STEM education or science, technology, engineering, mathematics studies. I really feel like uh, I'm not sure whether we're going in the right direction when we do this. Uh, and sometimes we, uh, uh, based on STEM education, sometimes we uh, we uh, exclude those folks who are not engineering inclined, and therefore we separate them where we need to bring them all together. Everybody's got a little bit of engineering, uh, uh, and therefore we need to continue to push them uh, along that path. Uh, any comments as you, uh, uh, you know, we, we looked at robotics uh, being taught in school. We look at special high schools that teach uh, technology. We look at uh, special classes and, and groups uh, doing STEM education and, and STEM from a Department of 
of defense has been a growing um, uh, supporter for STEM education because of the need for technologies, engineering, and so forth. Any comments on that, Rob? I think anytime you can get your hands on stuff is, is good. So if, if you can involve any kind of hands-on learning in the classroom to show people this is real, this isn't just numbers or letters on a board, this is actually something that's useful in life, um, I think that helps with education. Uh, it's something that my school didn't particularly do when I was in high school. Um, and I, you know, like you said earlier, I learned so much when I was building that plane. I had to learn how to do composite materials, how to sand. You know, I, I, it was more than engineering. I had to actually learn craftsmanship. So um, I think anytime you get your hands on something, it also helps you learn about designing it. When you actually have to build it, you're thinking, man, why did I do this? I should have made it this way. And you may not notice that unless you try and get your hands on and do it yourself. Um, so as far as the, the STEM education goes, anytime you can in, involve hands-on work with students is good. Yeah, there's a growing, um, you know, capacity right now in the schools to increase that. Uh, the one topic that uh, frustrates me more than anything else is, you know, we're not developing engineers fast enough uh, against, let's say, China, India, or, or, let's, uh, or Russia. And you know, that's always frustrating statistics because that's a very uh, academic uh, degree oriented statistics uh, and so forth and so on. Uh, but one thing I always admire that we have here in the United States is the ability to innovate, the ability to be curious, the ability for the uh, young man or kid uh, to be in his room working on whatever he thinks it's necessary from a IT perspective, from a mechanical, from a garage, a hobbyist who takes it to the next level. Uh, those are always, I always find it curious how many people are out there working on their own uh, item or widget and then getting ready to explode if only if they had a fill of dreams t type thing. Uh, and that's what we experienced during the DARPA Grand Challenge. Do you see that as you walk around, uh, Rob, with your, your uh, in your profession and as you look at your uh, friends out there doing certain things? Yes, I, I think um, a, a lot of people with ideas now can go on uh, those, those crowdsourced funding sites, such as something like a GoFundMe or a Kickstarter. And if you have a, a good idea, uh, there are some people that get money out of that. I don't know how widespread that is. I don't know if it's like trying to become a professional athlete where there's 100,000 people that want to do it and only one guy gets it. Um, or if it's or if a lot of those do get funding. However, to, to get funding, you really do need to get your idea out there. Um, the tricky part is getting your idea out there without somebody stealing it. So you know, talking with venture capitalists, I mean, that, that could be difficult at times. Um, but I, I think the positive thing is, is to get out there and, and find an, an avenue to share your idea and, and get some buy-in from a, a company or a... Um, you know, a crowdsourced funding site. 
Right. As we move on, I mean, uh, uh, even at DARPA, uh, where these guys are thinking outside the box and they're trying to produce a product or a widget that's never been done before, and the challenge of the science principles are being met every day or trying to be pushed uh, to the edges every day, uh, these are leading scientists that are trying to create. And once they create something, uh, sometimes they're, you know, they're looking at an application, as we talked about earlier in the segment two, uh, that may not fit that particular product. Uh, the user will determine where that product will eventually end up. Uh, and then, so that's one issue. I always find it kind of fascinating how the user will take that product and evolve it and mature it. Is there yeah, anything? Think, go ahead. Oh, well, there are a, a few uh, venues out there. You, you could post it on, like I was saying earlier, a forum related to that specific product or, or whatever you're trying to do and see if you can get feedback from the community there and try to refine your ideas it, it always helps before you do anything like that to have a patent uh, so then you would have to go through a, a patent firm but if you have just a basic idea um, maybe there's a part of your idea that you're not sure how that works and you just want to share that part of the idea but not how it ties in to your, your grand plan of a product um, and, and try and bounce that off people and, and see what, what um, responses they give you that, that's always good to do and then you, you, as you further along the maturity of that, you find out who's willing to pay for it and trying to get sponsorship from them. Exactly. Uh, folks, today we're talking about developing the abilities of a great engineer or technologist or an innovator. We're trying to uh, understand what motivates uh, these individuals to continue their career, uh, to produce a, a product or a widget, and, uh, and move civilization forward and uh, improve our lifestyle. Uh, we've talked uh, on a variety of subject matters here. Our guest is uh, Rob Orden, the chief engineer been working many years uh, at DARPA and now at the uh, Pentagon Force Protection Agency. Rob, as you continue your career, what's what's next for you? You, uh, you want to go into back into aerospace, or did you find something in uh, many aerial vehicles or robotics? What's what's driving you now? That's a good question. I mean, I'm always interested in anything with with planes, and to be honest, after working with tech uh, with DARPA any form of technology starts becoming interesting. I mean, you, you, you hear about different, different projects, but some of them you can talk about, some of them you can't, and they really are interesting. So there's, there's other things that, you know, it's kind of pushed me to learn. So I, I may start studying something else, another topic, or um, the, getting back into DARPA would always be fun as well. That, that, was fun to, that was a fun little journey there, and it's been fun over here as well. Um, I've been, I, I think I've been helping this agency out quite a bit, um, and I, I'd, I'd like to get back into that and maybe bring some more technology over to this agency that, to help us out. Yeah, it's quite interesting as the government continues and uh, and you go to different agencies, uh, either they're ahead or a little bit behind, depending on it. Well, we only have 30 seconds left. Uh, I just want to thank you very much, Rob, for uh, taking time this past hour to uh, talk about your aerospace experience, talk, talk a little bit about how to mentor folks and, and the curiosity that folks have and, and talk about STEM education. Uh, we're, we're happy to be back uh, season two. Uh, we have a robust schedule for you. Uh, take a look at our uh, at our webpage or go to uh, 
uh, the Variety Channel and look at our pages there. You can always find us on Twitter and Facebook. And this is your host, Jose Negron, on the T3 uh, Today, Tomorrow Technology Show. This is the leading technology show on the Variety Channel. And I'd like to thank my audience, thank Rob, and more importantly, uh, I want to thank Alex for putting this all together. And we're moving on to our second show, and I'll see you next week. Take care. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to Today, Tomorrow's Technologies. We hope you'll join your host, Jose Negron, for another exciting program next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Enjoy the rest of your week. 